Housed within the Environmental Conservation Lab on Treaty 1 territory, home of the Anishinaabe, Cree, Oji Cree, Métis, and Dene people, you're listening to the Akiwan Podcast. This is Episode 9, titled Moose Moratorium, where special guest hosts Bobby and Sadie are joined by Shannon Chief to discuss the declining moose population and sports hunting in Barrier Lake, Ontario. My name is uh, Bobby Mangeli. Thank you for taking this opportunity uh, for your time today here to speak with us. We really appreciate it. Um, so hello, um, my name is Sadie Phoenix Lavoy, community coordinator with Beniskatan, Megazi Ganawa Benijige, Okoy Dishnagas, Sagin Induji Dem. I'm from Sagin First Nation, uh, located in Treaty One, and I'm super excited to be here introducing our one of our guests, um, Shannon Chief, who um, Shannon, would you like to introduce yourself? Uh, good morning or good afternoon. Um Anishinaabe Aki My name is Nan Chief. I am from the Wolf Clan from the Anishinaabe Nation or the Algonquin Anishinaabe Nation. I um uh, my involvements are mostly um uh, around the language, mostly language, land and language. Anything that has to do with land and language, I'm always there to kind of help our people and uh, help protect uh, the land in the best way that we can. Um, I think a lot of my involvement just kind of <laughs> takes too much space, but re- recently <clears throat> uh, what we were... Uh, doing on our territory was that we were out on the land to try to help protect the moose so i think for now i'll just leave it like that (laughs) yeah so um we're really excited to have you here um we wanted to talk about more about the moose moratorium Um, i know that moose hunting season is finished but the camping itself is still ongoing and so Maybe we wanted to share just a bit as to, um, you know, how it all started, um, what brought um, this movement forward. Um, yeah, what, what is it all about? Okay, so um, in a, a few years ago, our elders wanted to get something done with the moose because it was the first time they uh, saw that there was a decline in the moose and it was more harder to see them compared to 10, 15 years ago when they were still visible. Uh, we are located in Parc de la Verandry, Quebec, so you can see that little park in, in, um, on the maps when you look at it. Uh, we are just like about two hours north from Ottawa. And um, that park itself used to be a protected park called Parc de la Verandry in 1960, so it was pretty much protected. And then around that late 60s, the, the, the Quebec government um, approached our people, our community of Barrier Lake, to see if we could do some sort of um, agreement, um, which was basically a pilot project. And um, they said that they wanted to have um, fishing, you know, moose hunting, and also uh, some 
clear cutting to help grow the economy, to create businesses, and also give jobs. For a while, that was going okay and all that, but that after that five years, which was agreed to at the first place, came up, and the people said, okay, five years has came up, we tried it. You know, something so-and-so worked or some things didn't. And then they wanted to close that down. So the government, uh, the provincial government did not want to close that down. So he extended it by saying, oh, we didn't mean five years. We meant five years for this, five years for the moose, five years for the calf, that kind of thing. So it just kept going on and on. Once you give them a little bit of power, they just kind of really take it in a way where they can't seem to uh, uh, keep their word. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what happens. And so uh, things just kind of went on and on. Uh, you know, they had deforestations. They had tried to grow jobs. Uh, they had uh, allowed some of our people to work with non-native people when it comes to uh, guiding moose hunts. And it was going well at that one time, you know. And now um, the CPAC which is basically the uh, wildlife uh, forestry and um, land management. They, uh, they kind of just come in and take control and assume authority on our territories. So when our elders a couple of years back uh, had wanted to do something about that because they were taking, you know, like they were affecting the ways of how we are free to uh, go out to the territory to hunt moose, to do things, you know, they would intimidate our people. They would, um, uh, some of our cabins would be burnt because of that. So there was a lot of list of reasoning that our elders and people of the land that had noted what was going on with the CPAC. And so they wanted to uh, get something done in order for us to kind of like just be the managers of the land and take caretakers and everything. So with the declining of the moose and the way that our people have been observing the non-indigenous hunters or sports hunters, um, every year after year, we would see a lot of the men in their, in their trucks and they would have the moose always displayed on top as their, as their way of saying, this is uh, how I am a man, that kind of thing. And so um, year after year, they keep doing that, then there's a big decline on the moose because of things like that. And a lot, oftentimes we would find um, uh, the moose's bodies out on the territory, uh, completely headless. Uh, sometimes they're just killed for nothing, just to take pictures and all that. And that's what sports hunting does. It is not a way of life. It is not a way how to uh, survive the way we do when we hunt our moose you know we use everything we use the hide for our clothing we use the bones for uh, uh, certain ceremonial bundles or um, tools that we make for scraping and all these different things uh, we eat a lot of the what we call delicacy things that are soft or just uh, coming from the inside like the liver the intestines all these things we eat so much of everything including the head and we use so much of these things to uh, be able to um, sustain ourselves off in the territory so that's the reason why we also want to protect the moose is also to protect our way of life that we have out in the territory so that our children could have that that same opportunity we have if nothing is done especially. 
So uh, last year in 2019, it was the first time that our people started to get together to to try to do something with the, for the moose. So the first try, the first effort was just to kind of inform these non-Indigenous people that were going into these um, roads on on in Park Leverandry. So Park Leverandry, the way it looks like, we have the North Gate and South Gate, what we call, because there used to be gates there, but they were removed a long time ago in the 1960s. And so, <clears throat> Once you go in there, we have what we call junction roads, junction one, two, three, four, and it goes up to about 40 to 50. So that's how many roads there are going in there. So the way we see the mapping on our territories, we have a different map that the non-in-business non non people don't have and how we manage it is entirely different compared to how they do it. Um, we have family territories out, out there, so the families are involved uh, in, in decision makings and things like that uh, when it comes to deforestation or, or, or uh, anything that has to do with the land. Then these people have uh, a right to have a say in, in like, uh, let's say if we were meeting like in a traditional council setting, we would have all these families sitting there talking about what needs, what is happening, what can we do, what can we agree to move forward with that kind of thing. So that's the way we kind of work things out. Uh, we still work from the traditional frameworks of how our people do things, even though we all have like what we call the Indian Act system in place, which is basically just like a way of how to administer funds and programs and services to the people. Uh, we value our traditional governance very well. Um, it's just sometimes it's hard to kind of work with both things at the same time. <laughs> so I choose to say more on the, the side of where we have to work with traditional governments full time because it's, I don't know, I just do well with that one. <laughs> so out on the territory, um, what we did was uh, we, looked, we looked at the main roads that, that have more activity for uh, non-indigenous hunters that go in. So this is why we built, we made up Camp One, Camp Two, Camp Three, Camp Four. These are the ones that have that can go way far in the back to go hunting and all that. But the tricky part to all of these uh, roads is that sometimes they have access to another road, but it's a big long way around. So that's the thing about these roads that um, that uh, also need uh, other camps on the inside of it. This is what happens uh, on. This is what happened this year, was that we had to make other camps. So last year, the, the first approach was, like I said, it was just to inform um, the non-Indigenous hunters. We gave them um, what we call um, flyers, informational flyers, to tell them there's a moose decline. If you're going in there, uh, please know this is what's happening. This is what the people are doing. So we're giving you information. You know, everything's being told to them and then they would go in. That's, they didn't want to stop them right away at the time. Um, I find out that was the, an approach coming from the elders because communication has to, needs to be valued in, in that way where um, it does not doesn't have to necessarily cause like a war between you know, two nations. Um, and so um, with, that hap with that said, uh, that was pretty much what was done. Um, 
the indigenous hunters were also told that our people would be hunting too because it was also because that's the time when the moose all comes out to mate and when they're doing that we are also like interfering their time that they're supposed to be repopulating especially around that time um but our people have done that as a tradition and because they learned that off of our people now it's something we have to take care of and settle in a way where uh, we needed a moratorium so at that time they did not know how long they wanted a moratorium um but this year kind of uh it helped us uh, figure out what is it that we want out of this moratorium much more uh, after we after the first one that was tried when the first one happened I just kind of was there to help get everything in place I'm usually the person that calls for help get people notified you know like pretty much what the, um, the wolf clan do from their roles uh, getting the people together rounding them up that kind of thing so that's pretty much what I do to help my people there and at that same time, I was off to uh, Panama by the second week. So I had other things that I was committed to. So I didn't really make, they didn't get very much media last year. They didn't get too much attention to it, but they were all out there doing everything they can to just inform, inform, inform. So I thought with that, then, okay, then I, I can still go ahead and do something else for now. So this year, um, we went back to doing uh, the same thing again, uh, but this time they were more ready. They made kitchens for every each camp. They had uh, uh, put everybody, um, like uh, everybody had tents, everybody had like more supplies, especially coming from the crowd that were looking uh, to what we were doing out there. A lot of uh, the call-outs that I gave out was respond, responded very hugely that our people were um they were just very like overwhelmed with all the the support that we got more this year for the for our moose protectors <laughs> and um because this was more this approach was more about our food on the land it really united a lot of our people that's one thing that I was so grateful for. If we, when we worded like that, it got a lot of our people helping together. If it were for deforestation or mining, it's it's always the same, the same uh, land defenders that show up, and the rest are not there yet because they don't know how to take it in, you know. But when it comes to our food, it just kind of brought everybody together. So this year, uh, what happened was during the first day, I was just kind of looking in to see how am I going to help, how's this going to go, because um, I was starting to work more or just kind of like be friendly more with our, our chief and council because a lot of our elders that also stand with them, you know, like I'm trying to like be friendly, keep things nice, you know, but make sure that I always keep my keep my own into the ground, <laughs> keep one foot in the ground. And that was pretty challenging, but our elders that are there, uh, they're, they're very, um, like, they always want to make sure that um, we're always doing things out of heart and so on. Um, so this year what happened um, during the first, second day, I went out there two days before, you know, I was kind of looking around in my own uh, territory, see what's going on, see how the back roads are, that kind of thing, and what um, 
and just to start myself out, <laughs> you know, it's kind of getting excited to go out there to get in on some actions, really. <laughs> and then on the first day, uh, we went to go see the chief, and I started talking with him and things like that, um, see what kind of plans they have, they wanted to do this year and what the approach was going to be. That's what I was interested to do. And so they, they said that they wanted to have, like, just almost the same approach as last year. And I was like, no, that it's, it has to change. That's, in my mind, that's what I was thinking. And then on that same day, there was um, a text we were getting from another camp saying that we need some help over here. So we all took off. We went over there. And it, we thought it was just like to help set up the camp kind of thing. And then when I got there, they had blockaded the road. And I was like, for real? <laughs> and then uh, I was kind of like happy to see that because every year the approach has to change. Every year our people need to stand up more and be more solid to, to a cause that you want to protect because they're always going to come in and get what, what they want. You know, this is how the mentality is when, when uh, white people have certain power over the land. They're going to get very territorial. They're going to get what they want. They're going to go to extreme forces. And that's the, that's the hard part of facing it. But Moose has been part of our life for so many years, for so many hundreds of years. They gave us culture. They gave us food, you know. So this gave our people the strength to come together in numbers, in big numbers, and support one another, you know. And um, so this gave um, this gave them more strength to kind of like just okay, let's just keep up with this. If if the, uh, if one if one of the camps had started it as uh, blockading the roads and leaving seat back out, then that's the example. Everybody just kind of followed at every each uh, checkpoint, and uh, we had to put out a lot of reasons why we were doing it, try to go live when it was necessary to do so, so that the message was understood by everybody that were there. So that's pretty much what we all did this year. And uh, I find it really opened the, uh, the eyes a lot. Um, our people, you know, realizing this is who we are as indigenous people. We are land protectors. We are loose protectors. You know, we are, um, uh, this is what we are meant to do. And it, it's, it just, kind of like raised a lot of consciousness and I was really, really grateful for that. I guess my next question uh, was going to be based off of what you said, talking about that it's mostly for food that you're doing the moratorium. So I was mm -hmm. going to ask, how is what's hunting affecting food sovereignty? Just looking into aspects of food sovereignty and the decisions that are currently being made, how do those uh, line up? Okay, well, if we keep having uh, sports hunting in our territory uh, coming in like that, like they do every year, um, it starts January, mid-January, that the CPAC have like this online um, uh, website that tells you all about the information, where to purchase your tickets uh, or permits to go hunting for the fall. So that's how early they, uh, they sell these permits. And this is how the... This is why the Quebec um, government is involved in all this because they make a lot of money just by selling a group of uh, a permit for a group of hunters that want to go to a certain territory to hunt, and they make a lot of money year by year. In Quebec, in all, it would probably be about thirteen million or something, 
that's a lot of money. That that's also all all the places that they sell, you know, permits. And they tried to get us to be part of that way, that way of life. But we don't have to fall into that kind of, you know, of uh, we don't have to buy our permits from them and and you know start living by how they want us to live by you know that's the challenge you know we tell our people this is what's going to happen if we don't do anything for our sovereign rights and importantly the moose is going to go down fast and the reason why our people did something for the moose like to defend it to to be able to have all these camps in place for that one month um, is because uh, the people started having dreams, um, like the grandmothers, uh, the women, even myself. You know, we all had different dreams that told us that the moose wanted protection. That was the first thing that we talked about. That was the first uh, reason to move and act and act on in order for us to uh, protect our food sovereignty. And then when our elders at the beginning of the second year of this uh camp they said that if we don't do anything our food will be destroyed it's not just the moose but it's also the bear it's the deers it's the beavers it's it's the land and all where our medicines and everything and this deforestation that's going to <clears throat> that's going to um, distract our food sovereignty that's out there if we do not stop these things and have a moratorium so that you know like our kids in the future can have a chance to all, all of these things that we are uh, very fortunate yet to have despite the hundreds of years that we had, you know, uh, presence or settlers um, on the territory. You know, I'm surprised that the animal and wildlife have lived since the time uh, we had settlers because on the first world the first war that we had on our territories was about uh, fur trading and that that was a lot of uh, hunting that's a lot of uh, trading and things like that this is how uh, we started um, uh, working with French people on on our end here was uh, trading our furs for money, for flour, for, for survival, that kind of thing. And um, when you count to all those years, you know, like that's also deforest, deforestation, you know. And now when you think about that now to this day, looking at the cities, looking at the towns, looking at all these empty fields that they have cut open, which they're supposed to use as farmlands, but they're not. That's a lot of deforestations already. And this is why we're having uh, global warming and all these things under climate changes, you know, because it's, it's all that hundreds of years of activities that we had on the territory uh, that we are experiencing all this, um, th these changes nowadays. And changes also could mean that some animals are gonna die out. Some animals' populations are gonna die out, like the moose, for instance. Uh, and the birds, a lot of the birds that we used to hear out on the territory, we don't hear them anymore. We have to go far, far, far back into the territory where they're not doing any cutting that you'd be able to hear these animals, you know. So 
so back to the <laughs> moratorium. Uh, these are all the things that our elders have talked about in previous uh, councils to uh, to help us understand as adults, because us as adults, we are the ones that have to provide. We're the ones that have to make sure uh, we get something going and organize something so that um, the elders, what they have to say is being heard by the people as well. You touched on a lot of good topics um, that we've also wanted to cover, so this is perfect. Um, I just wanted to talk more about, like, you know, what role does, like, you know, we talked about food's sovereignty, you know, what, what significance does Indigenous rights play in conservation? You know, like you were saying how CPAC or the previous agreements were always misinterpreted. Do you think that that defining what Indigenous rights are around conservation um, and the kind of that legal push, um, do you think that would help or do you think that would be too lengthy of a process? And kind of just talking a little bit more about, um, yeah, just the play in terms of, you know, climate justice overall, or I guess the solidarity by environmentalists uh, from non-Indigenous peoples and, and talking a little bit about that solidarity piece. Well, in regards to the Indigenous rights, um, what happened this year with, uh, with everything that happened out on the land, um, there was a surface of um, what we call um, Hunters of Quebec. It's basically like an association of, of hunters. Um, they came together and they filed for an, in, an injunction on our people to remove the, the barricades and things like that so they can have access to go hunt. And um, out of that um, injunction that was put in the court systems, uh, one of the highest uh, Quebec levels court systems, which was the town, the next town from here, uh, the, the judge looked at um, everything, the whole case, you know, they listened to all the, the chief and counselors that were the ones speaking for those places where grassroots don't really go, you know. So they had a role in it as to speak for us in, in, in those places. Um, <clears throat> and um, they presented things very well because we do have good counselors that believe in indigenous sovereignty, that, do, that believe in indigenous rights. So we try to talk and work with them very well. And as long as we're on the same page, we don't lose one another that way. We don't lose the, the purpose of why we're out there. You know, it doesn't become like an evil led. So that's what something that we were kind of like really working on so that it doesn't fall that way, especially. Uh, so in that court case, what happened was uh, only one out of one, two, three, six camps, six camps along that main highway of 117, one camp was given an injunction, only that one camp, because that one camp, had a lot of what you call pouvoirs. Pouvoirs are like uh, hunting camps or, or hunting lodges, they call. So all the hunters would go to those lodges and they would stay there for some time, for some time, like a week or up to a month. And these lodges, this is how they make business. So these lodges also made um, a complaint to the courts alongside with these uh, hunters associations of, you know, uh, Mount Laurier or whatever. And um, 
they they stood together side by side and talked about like well we make money you know we make a business we make a living out of here and every year we it, it was we were always like flourishing in a good way but then this barricade has bankrupt us or that kind of thing you know or just you know just hurting their their pockets you know so the judge had to consider those two things especially for these these businesses so he gave an injunction to one but he's but to the rest of the um uh the checkpoints they did not give no injunctions they said that we also had a right to say that the moose has uh there's a decline in the moose and because we live out on the territory we are the ones that are always out there we see what's happening out on the land with the animals and so on and everything that we gave in that statement uh with the community lawyers they um it was very very well presented so it looked very positive on our nurse except for that one camp <laughs> so that one camp didn't want to go down they did not want to give in to what was given you know just the chief uh their chief tried to tell them okay well there's injunction we're gonna have to move out of the way or there was this talk about uh, the chief talking with these uh Puvar people saying that well we we're gonna make a deal blah 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 you know and then the people got mad the youth were the ones that led um the the band counselors for that community to kind of support the purpose of um, you know protecting our food on the land and we had uh, a rise on grassroots when that happened <laughs> so now um the chief supports the, the people what they want so that's exactly how we wanted things to go throughout the whole camps is that the people lead it and and the role that we gave to the chief and um counselors was they would be the support to this but they would also have a role in it by speaking you know for what the people wanted and to 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 completely protect the moose and not give and not allow any moose to come out so what they did um when the injunction went through um there were two camps that were made on that same road and uh those two roads lead like one to another town one to this other road and and so on so there's like corridors how to get in through so they had to make all these camps in there and so um they wanted to affirm their rights to the territory even with that injunction basically so they just kept up with it all the way to the end it was very i find they went through a lot of shaking up Uh, these people were shaken up like a tree for everything that went on but what came out of it were were more uh, voices that started to to uh, to come out like voices from indigenous youth voices from the men from the women and what they believed in and it just kind of made it just strengthened who they are you know and i was like so happy to see that <laughs> so that's um kind of what happened there because there were uh, also um discussions that the chief and council had to go sit down with the minister of natural resources his name was Pierre Defour and I'm going to say that because uh in that meeting at the end of that meeting where they were trying to negotiate what they're going to do uh how many years they wanted a moratorium which is 5 years uh he didn't want to give a moratorium at all 
uh, he says that the white people were more important than the moose. So when he said that, that also made a lot of our people very mad. <laughs> so that's why, again, it just brought more people uh, to come stand together. And um, they didn't really think too much of what this man was doing, but we had very good um, solidarity coming from Greenpeace, uh, who also wrote a letter to um, the minister to, you know, like to respect indigenous rights and so on. It, it, he even came out there to um, the leader of the Green Party in Quebec, also came out there to spend a night or two with us to like just to get to know us, you know, to taste the food, why we are out there. And he spoke very well of us from based on what he saw and what he experienced with us out there. And, and that meant so much for us. And then we also had like some supporting letters, letters from Amnesty International. And we also had like ICA that came in to help us build a media toolkit, which our people don't really work that way because we, I find that our nation has not been out there as much as other nations are, you know, like working nation to nation, that kind of thing. We're all just kind of keeping to ourselves, just trying to look at what we're doing. But now we were having, we just formulated a group where we're going to start working with other different nations and see how we can do to help one another out. And I think it's that time to kind of also build those relationships with other nations because we know that we cannot just be able to succeed in our own battles the same way other nations uh, will probably need our help or need, we'll need each other's help. We just got like maybe one or one or two more questions um, before we wrap up. I noticed that like before you were talking about, you know, matriarchy and how like traditional governance structures and having to kind of work together alongside chief and council. Um, what is this, what is this like take on this new identity in terms of like being a, a protector or a land defender, this new age of, uh, you know, asserting our, our rights or also, you know, talking about how, these bits of resistance have kind of like uh, reaffirmed our roles um, and our, I guess like our place in uh, in terms of defending the land or protecting, um, you know, our, our relationships with not only just ourselves and our other nations, but also with like the environment and the land. I think what happens in a lot of different uh, territories, there's like, um, there's like a way how women are starting to uh, place themselves within the front lines and men are realizing and seeing how important it is to also protect and support what they do as uh, uh, those kind of leadership that they hold. Um, so there was a lot of that uh, happening on the land too, you know, like the rise of our matriarchs. The, <laughs> it was just so nice to see, you know, and our women, uh, our elders, you know, the way they would talk about our matriarch leaders, you know, women are very powerful leaders. They're very uh, powerful speakers. And if we listen very carefully for them, we're going to learn so much from them and then that'll make you want to support uh, what is it they want. You know, because they are very tied to the land, you know, they're connected to the waters and, and so on. And this is how our elders speak to our people when we're in those um, uh, traditional councils, you know. So there, when everybody, every woman speaks and they have something to say, have something to share, or an idea, or how our elders 
uh, within our meeting spaces, um, try to encourage the respect of our women, um, our women speakers or our grandmothers and so on. Because the decision of uh, the decision that was taken to to block this year to have the blockades, uh, it came from our grandmothers. So when I saw that there for myself, this is where I went live and asked for all the help because uh, I was glad that it, it came from our matriarch. So we're always led by, my, by our matriarch. As long as that's led there, I'll always be standing there. So if you ever see me standing anywhere, it's because our matriarchs are leading. <laughs> and um, anyway, with that, um, our people are kind of like, starting to understand um, how the things are working because um, a lot of our communities have been like uh, kind of brainwashed or just thought different things. Um, like the leadership always comes from band counselors, right? And we were known to like just play with that. And we think that it's our way of life. But then we started to understand that there was something of control coming from behind the, the chief and counselors at times because what the government wants them to do or what they want to bring in and what they're forced to agree on. So they change policies on how they do it. Then the people becomes less and less uh, having that, you know, ownership of who our chief and counsel are. And that's how it's always supposed to be. And because we are always, uh, like right now, we are working towards to restoring our indigenous governance. Uh, we don't have no indigenous governance in place right now, but we we know about it. We know how it looks like. We can present it. We could bring it in. But it's, we're not there at that time where indigenous governance is right there unless you're standing outside the community. Basically, that's that's how everything is. That's the reality we, we, we are at. You know, that, that's what's there. And um, we have, I work with uh, some of our um, uh, grandmothers, uh, who we call our Kokomuk, uh, that, um, that has helped me a lot in the past with, let's say, our Anishinaabe uh, land-based curriculum. To anything that has to do with the knowledge of our people, we need our elders there. And also the grandmothers as the, as the people that, that give the last say to what has to be done or where it needs to go. You know that guidance that we need from them. Um, we were kind of a little bit into conflict after um, the more after the the last um, camp that we had because there was Barrio Lake community, there was another reserve, and then we're talking about okay, what is going to be the next step? Well, we do need a grassroots initiative out of this. It's so important because when it comes to our indigenous governance the band council cannot speak for that. They cannot uh, represent us that or try to lead in a way coming from that because that would be like taking your governance into the system. And then the system looks at it, chews it up and, you know, turns it into something that is not supposed to be, you know, like a bunch of piranhas or something. And that's not what you want to do with that. So it has to kind of like go back to the people and then the people are going to say, okay, well, let's meet and how are we going to make this rise and be what it is for our people, you know? And this is where our people are more, 
going to uh, obtain that respect for who we are, respect for, you know, like the land that we, we have inherited, you know. We cannot say that we are um, a people, you know, like uh, that are sovereign nation if we are speaking from a bank council system. That's always uh, something that we had to discuss, talk about and to look at. And if the bank council keeps trying to take something away from the people, then they're going to lose people too. So they have to support what the people want is by creating this kind of like a group of people that's going to write something that's going to be able to write like um, a co-management thing. And by co-management, there's not meaning like to work with the government. It's these two communities that will co-manage, you know, because after being in the Indian app for such a long time, we have to find a way how to start working together, building trust, building relationships, because we haven't been, you know, side by side or eye to eye for so many years, especially with the politics here, when you look at it for the past 20 to 25 years. Our Algonquin nation were basically divided into two, so Barrier Lake and Diganzibu were not on the same Algonquin nation at one time, but we're kind of going back to that. So now out of this thing, uh, we just formulated like a group that will work like a committee. So it'll be going, it'll be ongoing throughout the whole year. We're going to keep up with the campaign. We're going to try to do some movements, do some actions along the way. But it's also uh, doing the work like creating a website, uh, creating a, a fundraiser campaign and all these things just to prepare for next year. And one of the exciting things that we have coming for next year is that we're going to have this trainer named Sake, Sake Ward or something. <laughs> so he's going to come up and help train our people so that, you know, like sometimes like when I was watching uh, our people's post, you know, they're they're going to be like, we need help over here. And that's always the first thing. They didn't feel, you know, like, it's like they didn't feel that confidence how to handle a situation, even if there's like two or three of them. At least they couldn't handle anything, you know, with confidence if they knew how to do it. So this was the reason we, I, I reached out to this person to kind of come out and um, help train our people. And he wanted to come as close as this month. But with the COVID and all that, you can't be able to have that kind of training where you can have, you, it's necessary to have that physical contact with one another, you know. So we're going to wait till it passes. And I'm pretty sure next summer we're going to have them come out here and just spend the whole week out on the land to uh, give our people the training, give the youth the training, because it's not just um, blockading to protect our food on the land. It's also the different things that's going to surface later on, like the 750-kilometer pipeline that we're going to have to confront. Uh, there's the mining projects, uh, and there's like def more deforestations we're probably going to have to stop. So <clears throat> this training is going to be very useful for all these people that are coming out like flowers on the land. <laughs> um, you know, you said that... Uh the, they started handing out the permits or the, the information, I guess, uh, CPAC on, in January. Do you think that there's going to be something, um, kind of a push, a counter push of some sort um, that we could expect or something for us, like um, for people to, um, I guess, jump onto the campaign or to support in any way mm -hmm. um, or like where, where to go, where do, where do you want to send people to support? Um, yeah, we're going to completely fix up all that. 
um, because we just start forming this group as of Wednesday. Um, it was recommended during the moratorium to have it, just some people were not so sure at, at that time. But uh, it, we pushed it together and now it's coming together. And now we just need to have the um, our elders as, our next step is to meet the elders first because the elders are the ones that give the, the mandates and, and, and the ones that are gonna be there to help guide us and, and while we are make, doing this work, uh, what we need to do to be able to have that co-management between two communities uh, how we're going to protect the land, how we're going to uh, create like a management on how we harvest our own animals, for example. Uh, we can create one for ourselves. Uh, the moratorium is something that we need to keep pushing to be able to stop sports hunting completely, completely like. Uh, right now, they just said five years to stop to sports hunting. Um, I think it should be something that's pretty much ongoing because it's a very rude uh, way of how animals are treated when you look at the history of sports hunting. And um, <clears throat> like things need to change, things need to evolve. Um, if we could just focus only on just trying to achieve a five-year moratorium, that would be enough time for us to do so much uh, to be able to uh, come up with what we're gonna be in next steps within the next five years after that first five years um so yeah we're going to be discussing a lot of ways of what we're going to be doing how we're going to set ourselves up and what are the next you know things <laughs> how can people find you or how can people support okay uh, on social media and stuff like that and uh even to donate uh to the cause if need uh, we had created an email just the other day and we gave that to some of our uh, solidarity uh, groups that are trying to raise funds for us presently. We have a couple of them. Uh, we gave them the uh, address called moosemoratorium at gmail.com. I can also forge it at, um, on the inbox. We have that for e-transfers. Uh, we are we are working on PayPal. We are working on the website to, as a place that you could go directly to, to who to contact, uh, what kind of information can, can is there or what we are calling out for, what do we need, that kind of things, you know, and, and our plans uh, if, if we do um, move forward with anything and so on, you know, we're working hard on it, <laughs> hard and fast. <laughs> I have uh, one final question, maybe just a summary for the listeners. If you were to state your ultimate goal, what would it be? Our ultimate goal is to, would be to renew a treaty, a sovereign treaty for the animals, a way of how to protect the animals on Turtle Island, basically. We cannot speak for the whole Turtle Island, but for our nation, if we were to get a treaty there, maybe another nation might want to help another, another, another nation. You know, maybe it might be an Eastern thing, I don't know, but a peace treaty, a treaty that will give peace to the animals so they can coexist with us and they will have the protection. They can live and there's a, and that there's a respectable way of how we harvest our animals. That's would be the main long-term goal. Just to wrap up as well, um, 
I like what you said, like, you know, like a new peace treaty, a renewed treaty is a way of protecting the animals. Um, and, you know, even just the significance of that alone, like, um, and how that would apply for, for other, other nations who are also dealing with, you know, issues with the economy or like, you know, businesses and profit mm -hmm. over um, people. And the government always kind of siding or the courts always kind of siding with, yeah. you know, um, these is like non-indigenous settlers kind of coming in and, and feeling they know what's best, you know, um, you know, and kind of seeing what's happening even today um, or like, you know, this kind of day this year with uh, what's going on in East and Nova Scotia with the Mi'kmaq and the fishermen, um, you know, and, and kind of needing more of like a legal understanding, you know, of what, you know, for them, it was like the moderate livelihood within a treaty, but, um, you know, in some, some places having to have that, like those three treaties or the terms in those treaties kind of like reaffirmed or, or reminded, or even if having to create a whole new treaty in itself. Um, and that kind of starts, starts, starts the whole process, the legal process, you know, and that we know it takes time and take, and, you know, and a lot of times, um, you need to get the attention from the people to say that this is this is the reason for why we need to have the, this conversation, um, like a broader conversation around indigenous sovereignty as a solution to you know conservation issues or even climate justice issues. Um, so and and reassert like asserting what natural law is, asserting what you know where our laws, you know how we are guided by them. Um, so that was just like kind of sparked a whole a larger issue when you talk about mm -hmm. conservation in general, um, like across Canada and even all, all over into the States as well. Yeah. Um, so I just want to say thank you so much. Um, you know, we, we talk about uh, a lot of stuff here in terms of even just the fish populations with hydro and, you know, you're on the advisory council with Winniskatan and we wanted to come support and, um, you know, hear what you're, uh, your fight is and, and to be in solidarity with that. So I just want to say thank you, Chimi Gwich, uh, for being here on our podcast. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll do everything we possibly can to support. Thank you so much, Chimi for having me. Just also wanted to say thank you so much uh, for uh, having this conversation with us. And I know this will really spread awareness of um, the Moose Moratorium for people who have heard about it and even for those who haven't heard about it, uh, just a renewed pay attention kind of moment for people. And I think that's valuable. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you. You've reached the end of the AccuOn podcast. We'd like to thank Bobby, Sadie, and Shannon for joining us, to UMFM for hosting, and to you for listening. Miigwech, Ekozi, and stay tuned for episode 10.